Everyone's looking for the best system, the magic exercise, and the necessary techniques. And these are important for sure, but there's something else that makes all the difference. In this episode, I'll attempt to define the elusive secret sauce. So here we go. Episode 172, What Makes the Difference? I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Well, hey, fancy meeting you here again. (laughs) How are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. I hope you and your horses are happy and healthy. And uh, thanks for uh, popping in on my little podcast here. Uh, It's nice to know somebody is out there listening. All right. So Uh, If you've been listening and know my stuff and me, you know that I really do my best to try to describe and help you with the important stuff. And I also do my best to help you with the stuff that's in between all the important stuff and the stuff that's behind the important stuff. And today I'm going to attempt to describe the stuff within the important stuff or the stuff that the important stuff is sort of immersed in. And actually, I think I'll make the case that that is actually the most important stuff. So there are so many important elements in horsemanship and dressage and just, you know, doing, well, life (laughs) or doing anything with horses. There's so many factors. And you know, I know it can get really, really uh, confusing out there. And I guess that's, you know, it's a good thing because I have like topic insurance for this podcast. There's always going to be something else to talk about. But as a teacher and an educator, I feel like it's my role and my responsibility to try to take these infinite number of data points and dials that can be turned and somehow distill them into learnable, applicable, I guess, I guess the word is practical, you know, applicable points that can actually be used. I think that's very redundant, but you get the point. It's important. You know, so often when I see things or I learn things about my horses, um, my my very next question is, okay, great, but how do I actually practice that? Or how do I actually incorporate that? So I'm really interested in teaching things that can be helpful to anyone at any time. I, I guess that <laughs> it's selfish. I, I, it gives me the best chance of being successful, right? To find these like root or core teachings and concepts. So um, the other thing that I love to, to teach and to think about 
are the things that are like, all right, well, what's, what's maybe being overlooked or what have I not seen talked about or presented or, you know, what's not out there? What's not well explained out there? So not too long ago, I tempted myself to come up with the most important points that my students needed in order to be successful. And so from a long list of things, I grouped everything into four categories. Three of those categories are concepts, attitudes, and principles. Now the fourth category is exercises, and that's the one most people go to first and where the focus stays which system is better, which technique or exercise is the right one, if I could just do the technique better. But so often it's how you approach doing the exercise that makes all the difference. Concepts create the context, your attitude affects how it feels to do the exercise, and your principles drive the decision making. So your success with an exercise depends a lot on the context, the feel, and the small choices. It's those factors that can take a kind of mediocre exercise and bring you great success. It's also those factors that can take a perfect exercise, the exact best one for you and your horse in this moment, and cause it to not work at all. So I had the long list, figured out there are these four categories, and then I played a little challenge for myself of can I put no more than four things in each of those categories? I felt like that was going to get me to the best of the best, the most core things. If you only manage to do these things, you'll be ahead of the game. Now, it's not going to be the only four things. You know, it's just a model. It's just a game, uh, you know, a game to play with this list. What can I do? It's inherently going to be wrong because it doesn't include everything or it might not be the best thing for you. But I think this one is pretty darn close to being really super valuable for many, many, many people. But because the categories of concepts, attitudes, and principles, I think are so in some ways more powerful than exercises, because if you don't have those things first, the exercises might not work at all. I'm not even going to talk about anything in the exercise department today. I'm going to focus just on the concepts, attitudes, and principles, and the four things I put in each of those categories. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Some of you are like, but, but, but wait, (laughs) can't you just tell me what exercises I picked? Um, Yes, I, when I get to that, I will, (laughs) I will mention what exercises I picked because I know you might be like completely distracted if you don't think you're going to get that list of exercises. So I'm going to mention them, but I'm not going to go into them. I've actually already gone into some of them and there's lots of resources where you can go see those in action. And I'll definitely let you know where you can go see those things in action. All right, so on this episode, you might want to get a little notepad out or find some way to take notes, uh, because I think this is something really cool you might want to write down and stick it on your wall (laughs) or in your barn or something, because I think uh, it's going to be super, super helpful. All right, we'll just take it from the top. Concepts. So what did I pick 
as the four most important concepts. So the first one I have on there is the happy athlete training scale. And I did a whole podcast on the happy athlete training scale. I have a blog on the happy athlete training scale. It's really, really important. I find um, that I this happy athlete training scale is in the background of my mind all the time. I'm sort of aware of the layering of this. It drives a lot of my decision-making and it helps me keep sort of a whole horse perspective as I do anything. So the happy athlete training scale, and in a nutshell, um, the base of it is happiness. You make sure you're a happy person, that your horse is a happy horse. You're both happy. The next layer up is harmony. Harmonize together. If you can harmonize and you communicate and you focus on communication and the quality of it, then biomechanics becomes important. And then if you have all of those things, then you can focus on the pinnacle, which would be gymnastic development of your horse and then any sport specific training. So, and again, when you have it as a scale, then you, it, it's a built in prioritization, um, yeah, framework. And so definitely go listen to the podcast on the happy athlete training scale, because it's a huge, huge thing. So it's just one line in the concepts, but it's a huge, huge point. All right. The next concept is love it or change it. And I have a blog on love it or change it. I have a video on love it or change it. I've done talks, um, on love it or change it. And, uh, I've done a podcast episode on love it or change it. So you can definitely go deep and go check those out and sign up, immerse in that concept. But in a nutshell, love it or change it is this idea of there's, um, two ways to harmony. You go with your horse completely, or you have your horse come with you completely. Both of those can lead to amazing, harmonious moments, but that's a choice. And those are very different choices, kind of opposite, but these are dials you can turn. There's things you can try. And so built into this love it or change it concept is that if we're not going with our horse completely, or our horse isn't coming with us completely, then we're in this middle ground of tolerating, slight bracing, kind of holding things together, sort of happy, but not really, you know, or we're not happy, but meh, you know, it's not too bad. So we just kind of live in this yucky place. And it seems like a very, very simple uh, concept. Oh, just, you know, go with your horse or have your horse come with you, but it gets complicated pretty quickly. And then sometimes it, it's, it's seems like, well, what do you mean? You know, my horse is just a young horse or he's not educated. So he can't maybe be perfect and come with me a hundred percent. And I would say, yes, he can, because you can change your picture of what harmony looks like, right? So you can change your expectation, your goal. The only thing standing between you and your goals is you and your goals. So an example I give, um, for love it or change it is, um, and, and being able to 
to really love something and go with it, even if it's not perfect, is, you know, baby horses first trot down the long side. Um, you know, if my horse kind of went in the vicinity of the long side and, you know, headed in that direction and stayed basically in a range of speeds that I thought was okay, I wouldn't be going, eh, well, that's pretty good for you. You're not Grand Prix. Let me just hold on to you and try to force something to happen that's not. I would say, no, that's baby horse. I'm going to get out of his way. I'm going to tell him he's perfect. I'm going to love it 100%. Even, even if I know he's got so much more to learn and it can be ultimately so much better. So um, this idea to, in any moment, if you want more harmony, go with it more or get better at having it come with you. So again, it's a deep, deep subject, easy concept, deep, deep subject as far as how do you actually get in there and use it and live it. So the um, happy athlete training scale really gives a prioritization love it or change it helps increase the harmony. Now, this third concept is precision and play. Precision arrives out of the possibilities that play creates. So that's something that you'll hear me say often. It's built into the, um, the sweet spot of healthy biomechanics protocol. And it's a pervasive theme that you don't get perfection or precision by trying to make it happen. You get it because you have possibilities to explore and out of those possibilities, you find ones that you'd like to um, replicate and continue with more consistency. But built into it, precision and play is this ability to scribble on the page or muck around a little bit or overshoot the target and to literally, you know, play. <laughs> play is such a helpful learning tool. And, you know, in dressage, it's very, very easy to get hyper-focused on precision and controlling and making things happen. And the more you're willing to give up what you've got to get what you want, the freer everything feels, the more confident you're going to be, the less bracy and defensive the horse is going to be. So this this precision and play concept is, it's um, built into many dressage naturally techniques, overshooting the target, not being afraid to mess it up, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, so it's built into exercises, but it's also a mindset that can really help um, with the perfectionists out there, right? So it's like we build in that we play. Of course, we're going to scribble on the page first and look for the picture of what we ultimately want to start to arrive and show itself. And then through practice, we find that more easily. All right. And you can sort of see how the precision and play can really affect moments within exercises, right? Oh no, I have to make that shoulder in be perfect or I can practice a shoulder in and have it come off the wall and back onto the wall and come off the wall and go back onto the wall. And if I can do that, then I'm probably going to be able to ride it straighter rather than just forcing and clamping and holding and driving and either being perfect or a complete failure. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the precision and play concept. And the fourth concept that I 
thought would be invaluable to your list of of concepts here is to start with what you already can do. And again, this sounds like a little fluffy, like you can do it, you know, it's okay, just do what you can do. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that we don't develop what we can't do. It just means start with what you can, because that's, that's a great springboard to anything else. Um, I often say, um, in, when I teach in my Upward Spiral of Successful Gymnastics course, um, we talk about finding like the sweet spot of your working gates or doing any movement. And the first goal is to be able to do it for a six. So I'm using the dressage judging scoring system. And a six is kind of the first sort of one notch of positive. A six means someone looked at it and went, oh, nice. <laughs> they recognized it. A five means it was recognizable. Like, oh, look, they're doing a shoulder in. <laughs> and then, uh, and the six is like, oh, that's nice. Right. Um, <laughs> that just reminded me, it made me feel like a five is when someone comes up and goes, oh, you got a haircut. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah. You notice I got a haircut. A six is like, oh, your hair looks nice today. <laughs> I have no idea why my brain just went to that. But anyway, so where was I? Oh yeah, a six. So if you start with what you can do, let's say my goal is to do like a, you know, have a, a shoulder in with like amazing cadence and, you know, height and engagement and all these things that maybe I can't yet do. Well, the, the best place to start is do a shoulder in the way you can do it. Do a shoulder in and a little tiny trot, however your horse can do it, and then try to make that easier. So to do a six with ease is the best way to then then get brilliance points. Because if you're not able to do it with ease, then you're already working too hard. You're not going to be able to add anything more to that. So that's one example of starting with what you already can do. But it's it can it can do with anything. It can show up with anything. If you're trying to do something and it's hard, start with what is a piece related to that exercise that you're trying to do that you can do. And it's a great place to just, again, have that springboard, but it's going to also build your confidence. It's going to be able to have you do that one piece that you can do and do it with more quality, with more lightness, with more ease that's going to be the best stepping stone for harder things. And it will make everything feel well easier, easier for your horse, easier for you. And don't underestimate the power of um, improving the quality of what you already can do. And this even goes into, you know, when people tell me they have limitations. Well, I live in Sweden and it snows all winter and there's four feet of snow and I don't have an indoor arena. Okay. What can you do? I play a lot of times. If it's pouring rain outside, I'm in my barn aisle and I'm just going up and down the barn aisle at the walk doing, doing posture exercises or working on fine-tuned little communications just on the ground. There's always something that you can do and start with that. 
Otherwise, people tend to overlook, jump too far ahead, and they're always operating in the, I can't do that. And because you can't do it, you feel like you have to work on it, but (laughs) it's too many steps ahead. You have to find the success and build on it. Okay, so those are my four must-have concepts. Happy Athlete Training Scale, Love It or Change It, Precision and Play, Start With What You Can Do. So you have a decision-making framework. You have a way to find harmony. You have a way to get precise results without getting all tight and bracy. And you have an idea about what exactly to start with. You start with what you can do. All right, on to attitudes. What are the four things that I put under this category of attitudes? Are you starting to guess? Are you guessing? (laughs) I bet you could have some pretty good guesses and you might come up with four that are also perfectly fine. So as we go through this, you might have your own personal concept that works for you that you want to have in front of your mind. Remember, these are not etched in stone. This is what I came up with, (laughs) but you're allowed to pick some too. Anyway, but if you're curious about the ones that I picked for attitudes, uh, number one is growth mindset. So growth mindset is in contrast to fixed mindset. And the difference between the two is just the difference between thinking that something is learnable and that you can improve versus you can't. So a fixed mindset would be something like, oh, I'm just not good at that. I can never sit the trot. Oh, I'm terrible at sitting trot. I'm terrible at this or that. So when you say stuff like that, you're sort of convincing your brain, like you're telling your brain, no, I'm not good at that. So your brain's going to go, okay, (laughs) well, guess we shouldn't pay attention to that then because we just can't do it. Let's focus on some other things. So a growth mindset is when you're saying things like, huh, how could I get better at that? Or what could I do differently? Or something like that. It's this base assumption or base attitude that of course you could improve if you, if you play with it. If you try to improve, there is a possibility that you will improve, of course, based on how much you put in and factors and, you know, all sorts of reality-based things. But you have to go in having the mindset that it's possible. If you don't think it's possible, well, it's going to be really hard to make any changes. It's going to be really hard to teach you too. (laughs) And I've run into that a lot. And I think sometimes students end up with a fixed mindset, not because they're stubborn or don't want to learn. It's kind of like, hey, the evidence so far has shown me that I'm really not making improvements here. And so some people, some students will kind of be like a little self-deprecating just to kind of, it's almost like they're saying like, hey world, I know I'm really not good at this. I'm just not good at this. So, you know, don't mind me. And it's almost comes from a, a humbleness or like letting the world know like, hey, I'm aware. I'm aware I'm not really good at this. And, you know, I've caught myself saying stuff like that too. And it's sort of, I find myself saying that 
if I want to somehow let myself off the hook or just let other people know that like I'm aware, (laughs) I'm aware that I'm really not doing so well here. But be careful of that because you can literally train your brain to think a certain way about yourself. So just entertain the possibility, believe the possibility that if you wanted to, you could improve. All right, so the second important attitude that I picked was lightheartedness. And it's this idea that you can get serious results without being so serious all the time, that life and horsemanship are lessons in lightness. And having that lightheartedness to remember that, you know, we're doing this, hopefully, because it's fun. None of us have to do horses, right? None of us have to put us ourselves in these situations that we put ourselves in. So to to keep it light, and if it gets too serious or too scary or too heavy, to step back, because there's probably something going on in there that's getting in the way of the joyfulness of the whole thing. And I'm, uh, you know, very quick to laugh at myself <laughs> and, you know, to not, not take it so seriously. And again, but without... Um, Without saying we can't get serious results, it's not to dismiss anything. It doesn't mean we don't roll up our sleeves and we get in there and we try really hard and maybe we reach it and maybe we don't. And that can feel like big, heavy stuff. And so, you know, there's, there's trust issues. There's fear issues. I mean, you guys know it's horses, like big stuff comes up and there's dangerous situations. There's all kinds of things that happen and we have to practice this light heartedness. And just to remember each day, we don't have to do this. We're doing it because we love horses and hopefully because it's, it's fun and because it's an amazing feeling when it does work. And to uh, just, for me, not take myself so seriously. All right, lightheartedness. The third attitude that I picked is non-judgmental awareness. And this one can be really hard to do, Uh, We can practice non-judgmental awareness of others and non-judgmental awareness of ourselves. And those two go together because, again, how you train your brain to look at things is how you train your brain to look at things. And often how we look at others is also how we're looking at ourselves and vice versa. And so we have a choice. We can choose to be judging everything all the time and trying to compare and figure out who's better and who's worse. Or we can just be seeing what I call the what is. Just look at what is. Oh, look, that happened. (laughs) Oh, look, this happened. Without going, oh, that is terrible or you're so much better at that than me or I'm, you know. You know, we we can use a healthy comparison just as a scale or a like, oh, that's where I'd like to go. Like, look what they can do. Like, that's, I want to be able to achieve that also, if we can use it as a motivation. But I think we have to be really, really careful, especially at the quiet whispering in, uh, <laughs> inside, uh, 
conversations that are happening in our brain is how much judgment is there. And be honest with your, you know, yourselves. I have to try to be honest with myself all the time because I'll catch myself um, being quick to judge um, other people and quick to judge myself. And it, like I said, sometimes I can use it to motivate me to like go for something or dig a little deeper or like, oh, I want to do that too. But that's more of a like noticing. It's like, oh, look, that they're doing that and I want to do that. It's not as much saying, well, they're better than me and I'm not as good or somebody else is not as good. And in order for me to be better, somebody else has to be worse. So this one can be very obvious and it can also be sneaky. Um, but yeah, listen to how you talk about yourself to yourself and listen to how you talk about others and how you think about others, because I find there's a lot of overlap and it rarely does anything good. It usually, um, most of the time it will cause people to limit themselves, you know, and if I find that the people who are the most judgmental of others are often the most stuck with themselves because whatever they're using on others, um, chances are inside their own brains, they're, they're doubling it onto themselves. Um, yeah. Anyway, so non-judgmental awareness, watch when you're putting, watch when you're comparing or putting things on a scale. Uh, and especially, um, if it's disempowering to you, um, it's not going to serve you. So that was number three. The fourth, what is the fourth attitude that I picked? The fourth one is, is the attitude of the truth is in the middle. So this actually dovetails with the precision and play idea, right? So it's a little bit of like, well, where is the best spot? Where is the perfect working trot? Where is the exact place that that neck should be? Well, I don't know. Let's play around with some different ones and see how they look and then choose the one that's working the best for that horse on that day. So the truth is in the middle can kind of dovetail with the precision and play idea, but it's also the idea that um, there often is not one absolute dogmatic truth, but it's in the middle of... (laughs) of everything, right? So rarely is someone completely wrong or completely right. It's usually this woven fabric of stuff. And I am very wary when people would will say this must be or this always is or this is absolutely the right way because the truth is in the middle. I get a lot of questions about things. And it's like, this person said this thing, and this person said to do it this other way. And my answer is usually, well, it depends. You know, there's, here's some, some factors about this quote unquote truth. And here's some factors about this other quote unquote truth. And then here's reality, which is messy. And there's considerations. And then there's your particular situation. And there's rarely is there an absolute, absolute truth for anything. So, uh, I think when we're 
living in that attitude, it opens up so many more possibilities, right? You don't have to find the one perfect answer. Because gosh, if you haven't found it yet, then you're wrong, right? And that's not the case. If we know the truth is in the middle, then there's all these possibilities and these little nuances and we can play with it. And we don't have to be totally invested in one place or the other. We can be agile and we can be nimble and we can be willing to look and observe and not just say, well, I learned this rule and that is the truth. And then put a blind eye to what's actually happening in front of us. But we can go, here's some things I've noticed. Here's some dynamics and here's some things that have worked. Now let me look because exactly where is the truth for you and your horse on this day, chances are it's somewhere in the middle. So for me, by saying the truth is in the middle, it doesn't, it doesn't get, I could see how it could conceptually be confusing because it's like, come on, Karen, just tell me, what should I do? Well, you know, there's some, there's, there are many truths. There are many truths. And then how do we apply it for your horse on that day? There's lots of factors. So for me, it's, it doesn't feel limiting or confusing. It feels like, wow, there's so many more possibilities for me to find my truth in this moment and the truth for this horse in this moment, because it's in the middle. And I don't have to somehow go through life to find the answer. It's here. It's right here. We just need to play a little bit and find it. All right, those were the attitudes. So now let's talk about the principles. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. So I've talked about principles and priorities um, before on this podcast and previous episodes, uh, but they're worth repeating here. And again, I play a little game of like, if I just had to pick four, <laughs> you know, in my Dressage Naturally book, I have a whole bunch of principles and priorities, but if I had to just pick four, what would they be? All right. The first one is everything comes from 
and returns to relaxation. This is such a huge principle. And yeah, if you have any kind of fear or tension, it's just worth clearing. It, It has to be the beginning of everything. Now, it doesn't mean that you just stand still and wait for the fear to go away. You do stuff. You can still go out and do stuff because you have to sometimes do stuff to help the fear go away and the tension go away. It just means it's, it's a priority and not, you know, you have to be able to start. The goal is to, (laughs) the goal is to start with relaxation and you have to return to it. And if you can start relaxed and end relaxed, chances are there's going to be relaxation more permeating throughout. It doesn't mean you start relaxed and then freak your horse out and then see if you can recover. It's like breathing, right? That, that there's this like feeling of resetting. It's like if, when you ride a horse, when you ride a horse, it's tense and they're like cantering and it's like every stride, bum, 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 and you feel like you can't breathe and it's just escalating, escalating, escalating. And then there's the feeling when you're cantering where like every stride is a complete reset and rebound and they breathe in time with it. It's like, bum, 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 bum. And there, every stride is like a total circulation, an inhale and exhale, a spring, a release, and a rebound. So it springs and releases again, and you're not building, 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 building tension. So in order to do that, we need to start with relaxation. And then we want to do stuff and end relaxed and throughout the whole session, there's going to be ah intense moments. That's okay. And relax again. Sometimes I use the analogy of a swimming pool. And you, you know, before you dive into the deep end, you stay in the shallow end. You get comfortable in the water. You make sure you're okay. And then you, you try going out a little bit and then check you can come back. And then you can go out further, but check you can come back. And when you know you can come back, then you can go out there in the deep end. You can do triple back flips into the surf and you can do crazy things in the deep end. And you know, you can come back, which is going to change. If if you didn't know you could come back, you're going to, you know, and someone throws you in the deep end, you might be freaking out. (laughs) So knowing you can come back changes how your experience is when you're in the deep end. And that's what I mean about Um, It becomes pervasive and you can still do big, exciting things, you know, that are like athletic and intense. But if you know you've come from relaxation and you know how to get back to relaxation, then, then energy can turn into positive things and not just more and more and more tension. So this principle of everything comes from and returns to relaxation Again, it, it, it helps um, your priorities, right? So if you have worse, it's freaking out, you know that that's going to be a priority. All right. So, and this, of course, applies to you also. So the more deeply you can go into conversations about relaxation, the better everything is. 
Can you just be with your horse? Can you be with your horse without stressing about something? Can you be with your horse and be in a meditative, mindful state? Can you be in your, you know, with your horse? And so your horse drops into that state with you. There are depths to relaxation. It's not just the absence of tension or fear. There are depths to relaxation. I feel like I want to say that one more time. There are depths to relaxation. Don't stop at just simply not freaking out. (laughs) All right. The second principle that I thought was important is the principle that the horse's whole life matters. So often when I meet new horses or if I go to somebody's place to help them with their horse, they're talking to me about this sort of thin slice of what's going on with their horse, an exercise or a dynamic or a posture or a movement or something like that, or a behavior in the arena, or even a behavior in the barn. And I'm spending the whole time stepping back, stepping back, stepping back, stepping back. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at, you know, what, what's the horse eating? What's the turnout? What's the social life? What's the atmosphere in the barn, right? So I'm looking at the whole life. And I'm also interested in the 23, you know, 22 to 23 hours in the day when the human's not with the horse. So what, what are the other 22, 23 hours of the horse's um, day look like? What's it like for him? And a lot of behavior problems, training problems, and movement problems can be, you know, can be helped by looking at the whole life. And, you know, I think, I think that's, it's always worth doing. Just step back, step back, step back. Try to get the, you know, the drone eye view. Try to get the, you know, try to look at your horse's life um, from many different, in many different ways and not just in your interaction with them. But even within the interaction with them, you know, there's, you know, scan out with that. So often I'll say, okay, you're having half past problems like what else do you do with your horse like how what what's the life like what is all the time that you spend with your horse like so i'm always zooming back zooming back zooming back trying to get the widest perspective and then that gives me some context and then i can zoom back in so it's a really good principle to have in the front of your mind is the horse's whole life matters And also it kind of reminds me and it reminds, you know, I like to remind people of this is like, we are a hundred percent responsible for our horse's whole life experience. Everything about that horse's life is because of decisions that we're making and choices that we're making. That's his life. Maybe our horse is our entertainment or our you know, a few hours a week or whatever. But that horse's whole life is dependent completely on us. And to me, that feels like a big responsibility. And, you know, all we can do is our best. But I find if you think about it, there's often things that you can change that can make his whole life just a little bit better. And what's where there's a deficit in one area, you can make up for it in another area. And every horse is different too. 
So look at your horse. What is your horse like? And just see how you can give him just a little bit happier life. And it also comes to just, you know, choices. Again, you can get very tactical about this. Training issues like, you know, well, when is he fed compared to when you're riding him? When is his turnout compared to what you're, when you're riding? And when you ride him, what's the other stuff that's going on? So it's, you know, it can be very, it can feel like a, you know, a real heart-centered sort of way to look at things. It can also be a, a tactical, strategic way of looking at things in order to problem solve. The horse's whole life matters. All right. What's the third principle? The third principle that I added in here is the horse is already perfect. And maybe you could say, is that an attitude? It could be an attitude, having the attitude that your horse is already perfect. But I just put it as a principle. On principle, (laughs) as a principle, I think horses are already perfect. They didn't ask for any of this. They're just being horses. And they're perfect until we humans come along and put them in a situation or ask them for something that they can't do or they can't handle. And that's just the facts. (laughs) Now, I know a lot of people might be saying, oh, but my horse had all these issues and he was born with these problems and I'm improving him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Please don't use anything that I'm saying here to feel bad about yourself. There's always, truth is in the middle. (laughs) But again, it's the idea of, of looking at it going, these, the horses are perfect. All of, all of his problems are because of me. And I, again, I don't use that to feel bad about myself. I use it to realize that I'm making choices and I could make different choices. I could make different choices. And, you know, for those of you who have horses who were born with problems or, you know, whatever, and, and, you know, they're alive now because of you, maybe they didn't feel so perfect and you really helped them. Like, this is great. (laughs) This is fantastic. Awesome. (laughs) So I think you, you, know what I mean. Again, none of this is made, is meant to make anybody feel bad about anything, but just to think about it a little bit. And if you're having any training issues, any health issues, any, anything, it's, I think it's helpful to look at it this way and go, all right, well, if I hadn't decided to ask them for that thing today, that was really hard and that they didn't want to do, or we struggled a bit, if I hadn't even asked, we wouldn't have had a struggle, right? So it's kind of just owning that responsibility of that. It's a very humble principle to have, but I find it super helpful because it reminds me that I'm making certain choices and I have the power to change my choices and change a lot of settings. Yeah. And make different decisions. Okay. What might the fourth principle be? So the fourth principle is this idea that mental, emotional, and physical are equal doorways. So 
whenever there's anything going on with my horse, if I want to improve it, if I'm having trouble with something, again, step back and realize that mental, emotional, and physical are equal doorways. So if there's something that um, is physically hard for them to not just focus on the physical, but think, well, where does he need to be mentally and emotionally that could make it easier for him to do this physically, right? So if you're having, oh, he's just not doing extended trots in the arena. Well, maybe mentally, emotionally, just not a good place. So go somewhere he's mentally, emotionally in a state that's more conducive to extensions and do the physical part out there. And so, and this sort of idea applies, you know, what's, you know, what's he not understanding? Is it a mental thing? Well, maybe, maybe he's having trouble mentally with something and you can change the physical aspect. I do this all the time. If the horse isn't getting something, take the physical challenge out and find the easiest physical circumstance for him to do the thing so he can feel like, oh, I get it and I could do it. (laughs) Right. And so if there's, you know, if there's emotions coming up, what can you, what are you going to talk to your horse about mentally when he's in an emotional state and what can you change physically? So no matter what the challenge is with your horse or, you know, if, if you can put it in a mental, emotional, physical category, that's helpful because physical things need physical strategies. Mental things need mental strategies. Emotional issues need emotional strategies. And to then that would already put you ahead of a lot of people (laughs) just recognizing that there actually are mental, emotional, and physical choices there and different strategies for different kinds of exercises. But from there to then go around the issue and go, well, if it, even if it is a mental issue, maybe there's something emotionally and physically I can change. If it's an emotional issue, what can I change mentally and physically? If it's a physical issue, what could I change mentally and emotionally? They're all equal doorways in, and sometimes you have to go through a different doorway to end up with the original improvement that you wanted to see. So that's it. Those concepts and attitudes and principles are what make all the difference. They create the feeling of how you approach everything. And they're going to affect your decision making. They're going to affect everything. And this is the secret sauce that can make an exercise work or not work. And as promised, I said I would mention what the exercises are. So I thought again, okay, exercises. There's a lot of exercises out there. (laughs) Just in my, in what I do, there's a a gazillion exercises. What are four? And okay, I couldn't, I couldn't bring it down to four. I picked five. (laughs) So I cheated a little bit. And just real quickly, exercise leading and following. And this goes right back to the love it or change it. Go with your horse or have your horse go with you. And there's an exercise to do where I 100% follow my horse and then I 100% lead my horse. And I switch and transition back and forth. You can find this in the Habits for Excellent Horsemanship program. It's one of the key riding exercises that we do. For me, I can't live without that one. Uh, The second exercise I have on my list 
in no particular order, is the sweet spot protocol. There's podcasts about this. It's in my book. We do a whole course just called The Sweet Spot of Healthy Biomechanics. You can find videos in the video classroom on this. It's a huge topic, but it's the sweet spot protocol. Somewhere for every horse on every day, there's a certain combination of relaxation, energy, and balance that'll make you go, ooh, that feels nice, and that's easy. So wrapped up into the sweet spot protocol is precision and play, is the truth is in the middle, etc. All right, the third exercise I picked is moving massage. You can find videos on this in the video classroom and in the sweet spot course. But moving massage um, is a deeper relaxation conversation, and it's a way to get a depth of relaxation during movement. So you can see how that connects <laughs> to uh, some of the other the, some of the principles where everything comes from and returns to relaxation. So of course I'm going to have an exercise about relaxation. The fourth um, exercise I picked is what I call the number game. And this is a game where we cause our horses to agree and join us in the exact level of energy that we are requesting. Too much to go into right now. It's in the video classroom. It's in the sweet spot course. It's in the book, but it's called the number game. And it is a hyper-focused, precise game um, that involves some precision and play and overshooting the target and the truth is in the middle idea. And it's really a great exercise to play with possibilities in a way that causes the horse to agree with the precise amount of energy that you selected. Pretty cool, huh? All right, and then the fifth one that um, I think everybody needs to know uh, is what I call the basic alignment exercise. This also incorporates the truth is in the middle and precision and play and all the other, <laughs> the other things with possibilities. And it plays with alignment where we create a horse that's aligned, not by making them aligned, but by playing with the possibilities um, on either side of alignment until the horse agrees and chooses to um, be in the place of maximum alignment. So there you go. And again, if you want to know about any of those exercises, they're all over my programs. The book, always a good recommendation. The video classroom is, that's just a no-brainer. Everybody needs to be in the video classroom. We have videos on exercises. We have videos on discussions. We have videos on theories and concepts. Me riding my horses, me coaching students. I mean, just guys, get in the classroom. <laughs> you can check it out for free for a week. Just get in the classroom. Uh, anyway, uh, and of course the individual courses, Habits for Excellent Horsemanship for more of the partnership -y stuff and foundation and the sweet spot course for the biomechanics. Anyway, I hope you got a lot out of this. It's a big, powerful episode this week. I hope you wrote this stuff down. Uh, I'll probably put this in a blog at some point, but right now, uh, I haven't done that yet. So anyway, I'll uh, see you back here next week. Bye. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book, 
You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.